How do you respond when God calls you to go? The story of Jonah is about so much more than a big fish. In Jonah's story, we see our own story, our fear, our reluctance, our defiance. But more than that, we see the power and purposes of God. Despite our wavering faith, God's love remains constant. Let's dive into Jonah's story and discover the depths of God's love. Let me ask an important question. Do you want what God wants? Do the desires of your heart reflect the desires of the heart of God? If you're honest with yourself, how would you answer that question? Do you want what God wants? You know, you can work with someone and, and sort of be on different pages, can't you? You can work with someone, a coworker who has a different perspective or different goals, and, and that's fine. You can be friends with someone and not have all the same taste or likes, maybe different taste in music or different political leanings or different hobbies or interests. You can even be married to someone and not agree on everything. My wife likes seafood. She enjoys reading fiction, and she's always run for exercise. I, on the other hand, don't care much for seafood. I prefer the, the turf side of the surf and turf combo. I like to read nonfiction, and the only time I run is if something's chasing me. So we don't really share those things, and yet we have a good marriage. But when it comes to your relationship with God, what is required is a total surrender of self. Not surrender of self in the sense of you have to give up what makes you uniquely you, but surrender of self in the sense of putting your desires to the side your wants, your wishes, your will, conforming that to the wants and the wishes and the will of God. You see, that's what it means to live in relationship with God. That's what it means to be sanctified, and that is a process. That's what it means to, to have discipleship as a goal in your life, being conformed more and more into the image of his son, Romans eight twenty nine. That's what it looks like, at least one aspect of it. As I grow in my faith, as I mature as a disciple of Christ, I start to want the things God wants. Do you want what God wants? Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of their time in the flesh, no longer, and get this, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Peter points to Christ and he says, Jesus lived, he walked on this earth, and he suffered in the flesh in his lifetime. And we know that we just celebrated what that death means, what that sacrifice means. Peter says he suffered in the flesh. Why would he do that? Is it because he wanted to? That was his own desire, his personal selfish desire to suffer, to be murdered? No, of course not. He even prayed in the garden that the cup would pass. But ultimately, his prayer and his desire and his actions were what? Not my will, but your will be done. And Peter holds up Christ as this example for us, as the model, the pattern of what it looks like to conform your entire will to the will of your Father. 
No longer living for human passions, that's the phrase he uses, human desire, what you want, but rather living for the will of God. He says, arm yourself with this mindset. Have this way of thinking, this perspective. Do you want what God wants? It's a struggle for many of us, isn't it? If we're honest, it is. It's this constant tension, this battle. It is, it is like a spiritual tug of war. We often find ourselves on one end of the rope and we're tugging because we think this is what our life should look like. We think this is what we want. This is how things should be. And we find God on the other side saying, no, I have a different perspective. I'm seeing the big picture. I have sovereign wisdom. And it feels like sometimes we're just pulling back and forth with God. Do you ever feel that struggle? Do you know what it's like? Specifically, what parts of your life Where does it show up? Is it when you're trying to make decisions about the future? Is it when you're deciding what to do, where to go, who to hang out with, who your friends should be, what and who you let influence you? Or maybe it's when you are making decisions about how you spend your energy, your time, your money. When do you really feel that that tug of war, that that tension, that conflict between human passions, to use the word Peter used, your desires, your wants, your will versus the will of God. In relationships that you have, in your career, John Mark Comer says this, our deepest desires, usually to become people of goodness and love, are often sabotaged by the stronger surface level desires of the flesh. Have you found that to be true? Down deep somewhere inside of us, we want what God wants. We know that's how we should live. We know that should be our way of thinking. And, and truly, it is what we want, but there's, there's this battle. There's these other desires that we wrestle with, and they want what we want. They want to feed self. I think this text in 1 Peter chapter 4 serves as a great framework a great lens through which to view the final chapter in Jonah's story, at least what we have in Scripture. And so I want you to think about this text as we, as we look at Jonah and wrap up this series, this text where Peter says, arm yourselves with this way of thinking that you surpass human desires for the will of God, capturing this tug of war that's going on. Jonah understood this struggle, didn't he? From what we know of his life, that's pretty much how he lived his life. He often found himself on one end of the rope pulling while God was on the other end of the rope pulling. By the way, you're never going to win that one. Jonah certainly didn't, did he? And finally, Jonah concedes. He finally yields. He finally submits. And he goes to Nineveh where God directs him to go and to preach. And Jonah does that. And the people respond to his preaching And they repent, and God shows mercy to them. And how does Jonah respond? He pouts. Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Isn't this an interesting detail? So he's gone, he's preached, people responded, God has shown mercy, and now... 
he pulls out his camp chair, he sits down with his popcorn, he says, let's just see what happens. And I want so badly to know, what is he expecting? What does he want to happen? Does he want God to change his mind and to bring down fire from heaven on these people of Nineveh, these evil Assyrians? And Jonah wants the best seat in the house to watch it happen? Or maybe he suspects that Nineveh will change their mind like Pharaoh before them. Yes, you can go. No, I changed my mind. Maybe Jonah thinks, yeah, I know what's at the core of these people. They are evil. They are pagans. They are not the covenant people of God. I know what they're going to do. They are going to change their mind or they're not serious about repenting and I'm going to see it unfold. Or maybe he just wants to see something that will help make sense of all of this because he is struggling. He's struggling to get on the same page with God. So he watches. And I suspect that he watches as a critic from the context and from what we are going to see. He's sitting on the sideline watching as a critic. What I have found is it's so much easier to sit on the sideline and to critique what's going on with God or the church or with Christianity or with Christians or people who are supposed to be It's so much easier to sit on the sideline, isn't it, and just be a critic of those things than it is to get in the game. It's so much easier to, to point out all the problems and all the failings than it is to be a part of the solution. And I get the feeling that's what Jonah is doing here. He sits and he watches. He sits under the shade of a shelter he has built. Evidently, he's a better preacher than he is handyman because for whatever reason, this shelter is not adequate. It's not doing the job. And so God intervenes. God steps in. But God steps in not, I don't think, to primarily protect Jonah as he does to teach Jonah. Verse 6, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. This isn't the first time Jonah said that. So much drama with Jonah. It'd be better for me to die, God. I'm out here in the sun. It's hot. A couple of observations about this part of the text. First of all, did you notice Jonah? He simply reacts to his circumstances. That's what he's doing. When God provided the, the leafy plant that gave him shade, that made life more comfortable, what does the text say Jonah felt? What was his primary emotion he was very happy <laughs> and then when this worm shows up eats the plant his shade is gone and this east wind this scorching east wind we know about scorching south winds here right when this hot air comes in he's hot then what is he Jonah is upset he's angry he's ready to die Jonah is simply reacting to his circumstances Jonah was good at reacting he was good at overreacting so many of us live our lives like that. So many of us live our lives just reacting to our circumstances, just responding to our surroundings. If life is good, if things are going well, 
then we are so on top of the world and we're good to be with and we're approachable and pleasant. But if something has happened and someone cut me off in traffic or it was a rough day at work or you know, the kids won't listen or whatever it is, then we're upset and we're mad and don't, don't talk to me because I'm upset. You know people like this? You see, here's the truth. When our desires don't align with God's desires, when we don't want what God wants, then our tendency is to let our circumstances dictate our disposition. We respond to our circumstances. We respond to our surroundings. Nothing deeper is guiding us. We simply react to what's happening to us. We don't do much to shape what's happening in the world. We simply react to what is happening and then assess who God is, what he's doing, what is right, what is wrong, based on our feelings about what is happening. Sound familiar? Second observation. The Lord gives, and what's the rest of that? And the Lord takes away. You see that in this text, don't you? We sing those words when we sing that song, Blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and you take away. We sing those words, but do we accept those words as truth in our lives? Look at the text. God provided, time and time again, God provided a leafy plant. God provided the worm. God provided the scorching east wind. That phrase is over and over in this text. It's not the first time it was used back in chapter 1. What else did God provide when Jonah was thrown overboard? The big fish. So God provided all of these things. And what's interesting is he provided the worm that got rid of the leafy plant that he provided. So he provided, and then he provided that took away what he provided. <laughs> the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Some of us don't have any room in our theology for a God who subtracts. Who subtracts. We, we want a God who adds. More than that, we want a God who multiplies physical and material blessing in our life that's the God we want we can worship that God I don't want a God who takes away and yet we see in his sovereign wisdom sometimes what we would say is that God is taking away and what he's really doing is providing something we need Jonah got angry with God when God removed what made Jonah happy what made him comfortable. And God responded. He called him out. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? You want to step here and say, Jonah, just a second before you answer that, think, think, think through. Who is asking you this? He's asking you if you think something is right or wrong. Jonah in our story has already said what he thinks is right or wrong. He has elected himself as the arbiter of justice. And again, God says, is this right? But Jonah does what he often did, and that is he reacts impulsively, I think. What does he say in verse second part of verse 9? It is. It is right for me to feel this way. It is right for me to be angry. It is right for me to want to die because my life is so miserable. He said, I am so angry, I wish I were dead. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it, 
did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and so many animals. When he says they can't tell their right from their left, he's not saying they literally don't know. My coach used to always tell me, hold up your hands, the one that makes the L, that's the left. There are days when I need to go ahead and just do that. Okay, this is left. (laughs) What he's saying is they're lost. They don't know where they're going. They need someone to help them, to lead them. And so God asked this question. Is it right for you to be concerned about this plant? Is it right for me to be concerned about these people? Is it right? Here again we see this battle of wills, this tug of war between God and Jonah. Is it right, Jonah? Is it something that pleases you? But, but there's, there's more going on here. When we say something is right, we're saying this is how it should be. Not just that it makes me happy, that I want it, but it is how it should be. I am entitled to this. They say, oh, okay, be careful here. You know, you can talk about my opinions. You can talk about my desires. You can even talk about my beliefs. But if you start talking about my rights, ooh, you've crossed the line. Our rights are important to us, aren't they? We live in a country on which personal rights have become part of the cornerstone, the foundation. And rights are great for building a democracy. And we as Christians living in this good country should be thankful for the rights that we have to do what we're doing right now. In fact, in the prayer earlier, we thanked God for the freedom we have to meet together, to worship together, we should be most thankful that we have that freedom, that right to speak freely, to assemble freely, to worship. And yet in the kingdom of God, personal rights are not at the top of the priority list. You see, in the kingdom of God, what did Jesus say? He said, you go the extra mile. He said, you turn the other cheek. In the kingdom of God, we don't seek revenge or retribution. In the kingdom of God, the first will be last and the last will be first. In the kingdom of God, for citizens of the kingdom of God, to be great means to humble yourself and become a servant. In the kingdom of God, to follow the king means to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. So as a citizen of the kingdom of God, be very careful about telling God what you think is right, what you deserve, what you are entitled to. Jonah has to answer this question. It's a tough question. I think that's sometimes where we feel the rub. That's where we feel the tension. That's where we find ourselves in this spiritual tug of war. We feel entitled to certain things. We have put God in a framework, in a box. We know how God works. I have a deal with God. I'm going to be good. I'm going to go to church, and God's going to be good to me. 
And if God isn't good to me, if something happens in my life I don't like, wait a minute, God, we had a deal. I'm entitled to a blessed life. I'm entitled to an easier life. God, I deserve it. God, it is my right to be happy. My unalienable right to be happy. This is often where we find ourselves in this spiritual tug of war. Things don't go as we planned. They don't go as we wanted them to go. And now all of a sudden we look at God differently because he's on the other end of the rope pulling against us. And we don't know what to do with that. God makes it very clear that he and Jonah are not on the same page. They have different concerns. God is concerned about the lost people of Nineveh. God wants to save a city. Jonah has other concerns. He's concerned in this moment about his comfort. That's what he cares about. I think that word concerns is interesting. It comes straight from the text. Look back at verse 9 and verse 11. Jonah is concerned about this plant. What is God concerned about? He's concerned about Nineveh. This Greek word concern, our English translation just doesn't do it justice. When we think about concern, we think, okay, you care about something. It's so much deeper than that. This word means there is an emotional attachment that you grieve over things that you're concerned about. You are moved emotionally because of people about whom you are concerned. There's some deep emotional connection there. It matters. It matters so much that you are moved and motivated. So where is Jonah's heart? What is he emotionally attached to? Himself. His own comfort. Selfish concerns. Where is God's heart? To whom or what is he emotionally attached? The lost. The lost people in this city. Here's the point. God is not going to give you the desires of your heart until your heart reflects his desires. We pray, God, give me this. God, I want this. God, please give me the desires of my heart. And that's a good prayer. But from what place is that prayer rising up to God? What are those desires? Do they contradict do they go against the desires of God? Or maybe they don't seemingly go against the desires of God, but maybe they are a small part, and God sees the overall picture. It's not bad that Jonah wanted shade over his head and that he enjoyed it. It's not a bad thing. But God was doing so much more here. This was not about Jonah. You see, God is concerned about seeking and saving the lost. What about you? God is more concerned about advancing the kingdom than he is about advancing your career. What about you? You personally, God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. More about your holiness than your happiness. What about you? For God's people, he is more concerned that they love people than try to impress them. What about you? Where is your heart? On September 8, 2015, a British Airlines jet sat on the runway at the Las Vegas airport, burst into flames. 
Smoke started billowing out of this airplane. The airplane was supposed to take off and head to London, but obviously couldn't do that. The pilot said it was a, a major, a catastrophic engine failure in the left engine, and it caught fire, and so this, this plane is literally burning on the runway, and people are shocked to see pictures like this. Those who were there were shocked to see it unfolding. What was more shocking is that the people trying to get off of this plane were taking the time to get their luggage, to get their carry-on bags. They wanted their stuff. Isn't that interesting? You say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, if I'd have been on that plane, assess the situation, you know, I probably would have gotten my bag too. I need that laptop. I need that phone charger, you know. I need my phone. You know, that Trader Joe's bag with all my snacks in it. I need to take that with me. That's important. You know, it's kind of like when the fire alarm, you ever been in a hotel and the fire alarm goes off? Your first reaction isn't necessarily, oh, get out, go. It's, what do I need to get? What do I need to get? <laughs> you see, the, the top concern, the top priority should have been to save all the people. But what was the concern about or for many of the people? Got to have my stuff. Need to get my stuff. Yeah, I want everybody to be saved, but I want my stuff. <laughs> A pilot said later, he said, I'm not surprised. He said, we, we tell people things. It doesn't matter what you tell them. People are going to do what they're going to do. They're going to do what they want to do. You see, the FAA has a rule that evacuations should take 90 seconds. And as they looked at this scenario and this situation and assessed it afterwards, they said, if, if even half the people even half the people on board took the time to open the compartment, to get out their bag, you know, to do all of that. That could have added up to five to seven minutes to the evacuation time. The overall purpose, the concern, the priority should have been to save all the people. But the concern of many of the people was to get their stuff. Because people are going to do what they want to do. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Remember the pilot's words? I'm not surprised. No matter what you tell them, people do what they want to do. Back to Jonah. God asked him this question. Is it right for me to be concerned about those lost people, about that city of Nineveh? Is it right, Jonah? You want to talk about right and wrong? Is it right? And you think, okay, Jonah, you got another chance. How are you going to answer this question? Is Jonah going to double down and say, no, it's not right. Your top priority should be my comfort. You need to start thinking like I'm thinking. You need to get on board with me. Or is he going to finally submit and yield and say, God, you're right. Of course it's right for you to be concerned about them. Because we know that's where your heart is. You want all to come to repentance. None to perish. Of course, of course it's right for you. Or is he going to just continue with the drama and say, God, I can't take this anymore. I'd be better off if I was dead. 
So how did Jonah answer? If you have your Bible, look and see. What, did, what does it say? It doesn't say, does it? It doesn't say. In my Bible, there's just a blank white page, the rest, the rest of that page. God's question just hangs there. At the very end of Jonah's story, it's just this question. Did they, did they run out of parchment? Where's, where's the rest of the story? What did Jonah say? God's question hangs there. It lingers through time as though to invite us into that spot. The late Tim Keller said, it's as if God with this question was firing an arrow at Jonah and suddenly Jonah disappeared and we realize the arrow is aimed at us. God is concerned about the lost. What are you concerned about? Where is your heart? What are you attached to? As you live your life this week, God is going to put opportunities in front of you for you to see who he is and what he's doing. And you have choices to make. Are you going to align your will with his will? Are you going to be a part of what he's doing? Or are you going to grab the end of the rope and pull and tug because you want what you want you have rights, you have desires, you have goals, you have ambitions. What are you going to do? Where's your heart? If we can encourage you, let us do that. If we can pray for you or help you on this journey, let us do that. We as your church family want to help. Our shepherds certainly want to, to be there for you. Our shepherds spend so much time praying for you, often by name, individuals. They lift you up in prayer. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a little room off the hallway right behind me. In just a minute when we stand up, you can exit. You can go there. They'll encourage you, pray for you. They'd love to, to sit with you. <clears throat> or you can come down to the front, and we as a church family will do the same thing. Maybe today you're ready to make that decision. You've been thinking about it, and you know. You know God is, has created you for a life that has lived following Jesus and you're ready today to declare your faith that Jesus lived and died and was raised again you want to be buried with him in baptism and be raised to live this new life as a new creation and a new purpose a new hope new peace we'd love to celebrate with you today if there's something we can do we invite you to come as we stand and sing let's stand